Good morning. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Matt Holloman. Uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife Britt and I, we have been attending Hope. We've called Hope Fellowship our home uh, since October of 2021. And it's my pleasure to be up here uh, this morning uh, to bring God's word with you. Like I said, my wife and I, Britt, and our two boys, uh, Hayes and Hampton, we've been here since uh, October 2021. I get to serve um, in our Hope College group as one of our Hope College leaders with Pastor Nathan and all of our awesome and rowdy and crazy college guys. Shout out to all of you uh, Hope College guys that are here this morning. Um, And then also I get to serve full-time at Clayton King Ministries and Crossroads Summer Camp on Anderson University's campus um, uh, as one of our pastoral care directors and also on our uh, speakers team getting to travel um, and speak to many different churches um, and many different youth groups across uh, the southeast. So I am uh, great privilege this morning to be up here and serve the church um, in this way. So thank you, Pastor Mark, for allowing me the opportunity to be up here and speak uh, this morning in our Ephesians series. Hey, let's pray uh, this morning that we will dive in to the word. Jesus, thank you so much, first and foremost, for who you are. God, thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church here at Hope Fellowship. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives and in the hearts of the people who sit in here this morning. God, I pray this morning as we open up your word, God, that you would hide me behind your cross. God, that you would speak your words and your words alone this morning. God, I pray, God, that you would break down any wall, any barrier this morning that is holding us back from going deeper in our relationship with you. God, I pray this morning, God, if there is anyone in here that has not come to a saving knowledge and a relationship with you, God, today would be the day of salvation for them. God, I pray for freedom to be found in your word this morning. God, I pray as we open up your word in Ephesians chapter 4 that we would see what it looks like for us to put off as believers, to put off the old self and to put on the new self as you have called us to. God, what it looks like for us to speak the truth to one another to forgive one another as you have called us to forgive, as you have forgiven us in Christ Jesus. God, that you would get all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, because you are worthy of it, and we are not. Jesus, we lift you high this morning. We pray all these things in your name, and all God's people said, amen. The great Billy Graham in his one of his books called The Journey, he said this. He says, remember, when we come to Christ, God gives us a whole new life, a new relationship, a new citizenship, a new family, a new purpose, a new power, a new destiny. Don't ever take lightly what Christ did for you on the cross. And don't ever take lightly what God has given you if you have turned to Christ in repentance and faith. But this isn't the end of his bounty. For God also gives us one final gift, a new journey a whole new path to follow until the day he takes us to heaven. In other words, your decision for Christ isn't an end, but a beginning, the beginning of a whole new life. We aren't only called to become Christians, we're also called to be Christians. The Christian life is a new journey, one that will take us the rest of our lives. Paul right here in Ephesians chapter 4, he's telling us that we must live a new life. We must put off the old and put on the new. Something that sounds so easy for many of us in here, myself included, it sounds so easy, it's so black and white 
in Scripture. And Paul is so bold in Scripture for us to say this and for him to say this, but it's so hard for many of us to live this out. When we profess and proclaim to know Christ, that we are now called to put off the old, to put on this new life that God in Christ Jesus has called us to live. To put off our former way of thinking. To put off the former sinful old habits, old patterns that we used to walk in. This life that we formerly lived before we came to know Christ. Before we were saved by grace through faith. Before we actually came to know Christ. We were supposed to put that off and to now walk in this new life. To put on a new self. We have one main point for you this morning. It says this is our lives should result in radical transformation when we experience and encounter a relationship with the living God. Is that our lives, my life, your life should result in radical transformation when we experience and encounter a relationship with the living God. Is that the presence of infinite greatness, God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit should have a radical effect on us so much that we want to walk in the new life that Christ has offered us. Can I put it in simple terms for you? That the new life should look different than the old life. That the new you, when you come to know Christ, when you put your faith in Christ for the first time, the new you should look different than the old you. That's the simple terms for each and every one of us this morning. And what we're talking about in here in these 15 or 16 verses, as Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 4, is that the new you should look different than the old you. Paul writes here, we're going to get to one word right here. It says, therefore, therefore. Everything right here that Paul writes is, is bridged off of this one word, therefore. It, it takes us all right here from as what Mark talked about last week in verses 1 through 16. And what we're going to talk about this morning in verses 17 through 32 is everything is now bridged together for these first 16 verses to these last 16 verses. All because of this one word that Paul makes a connection here. When Pastor Mark talked last week of what it looks like for us to live worthy of the calling, uh, Paul writes, is therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy, to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And he goes on to say, therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live and walk as the Gentiles live and walk in the futility of their thoughts. He's making a connection here between the first 16 verses in Ephesians 4 and the last 16 verses in 17 through 32. It's the bridge that he's trying to make right here. He's saying we are to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. And we place our faith in Christ. It's a calling that is worthy for us to walk in. It's an urgency right here in Paul's verse. And what I see as Paul's writing this epistle to the church of Ephesus and when he's writing to the Galatians, when he's writing to the, the, the Colossians, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he's writing these the same exact things when he's talking to us this morning. 
He's saying, hey, there, there's a constant tendency for us as Christians to display to the world out there. There's a constant tendency for us to display to the world that we really aren't so different after all. That for us as Christians, that we can just walk as the unbelievers walk. That we can just say the same things that unbelievers say. That we can just keep on the same actions that unbelievers are portraying to the rest of the world. There's a constant tendency for us as the church, for us as believers to display to the world that we really aren't so different after all. But Paul's saying, hey, we are called to walk different. We are called to live different, to walk worthy of the calling we have received. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul would go as far as to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, that he has been made new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're going to talk about three things this morning. We're going to talk about the old life, the life that we have formerly lived. We're going to talk about the change, the transformation that must happen in our life. And we're going to talk about the new life that God has called us to live. Verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Paul right here, he's saying, don't live, don't walk like the unbelievers live or walk. If you've been with us for this, this Ephesians series, we, you know we've been walking through this whole book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would write, says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. And for some of us in this room right here, we're still living in that Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 lifestyle. We're still living according to the rulers of the power of the air. We're still living in our fleshly desires. We're still living dead in our trespasses and sins. We're still living in this old lifestyle. We're still living in this way of the world. And Paul says, no, we're to put off this old lifestyle. We're not to walk as the Gentiles walk. We're not to live as the Gentiles live. He gives us two great words right here in Ephesians chapter 2. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, he did what? He made us alive in Christ. That's good news for each and every one of us, that Christ has now made us alive. Because of God, we don't have to live according to the ruler of the power of the air. We don't have to live disobedient and apart from God anymore. We should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. I got to thinking about what that means this past week. 
It means that a lot of us in here, we, we start to think about useless and pointless and meaningless things. It brought me to a passage, a couple passages in the, in the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes. When the, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he starts to write about worldly pleasure. He said, I'll, I'll try to fill myself with worldly pleasure. He said, everything in this world is meaningless. He starts to say, exactly as Paul writes, he says, everything is futile. He said, my mind is actually still guiding me to wisdom. He would actually go on in Ecclesiastes 2 and say, worldly possessions, that everything with servants and gold and silver and gardens and livestock. He would say, I did not refuse myself anything that I desired or found pleasure in. He said, I found everything to be futile, everything to be meaningless. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, when he's talking about wealth and money, he would summarize this. He said, I worked so hard because I was jealous of what other people had and I wanted more money. He got down to the brink of everything. He said, this too is Futile in a, pers- a pursuit of the wind. He said, don't live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. Why? Because they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Paul is telling them, he's telling us, don't have this type of mind. Don't think like they think. Don't think like the world thinks. Our minds, our hearts have now been shifted if we know God, if we know Christ, if we've had this Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 experience, if we've been made alive in Christ, then because we think differently, now we are to act differently. And I believe this now that Paul is able to say that He's able to say and testify in the Lord, no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Why? Because he had a radical encounter and experience with the living God. Right? In Acts chapter 9, on the Damascus Road, when when Paul had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit entered into his life, he had an encounter and experience with the living God. He's able to say this, no longer live as the Gentiles live. He would go on to say, he said, they're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Let me ask you a question this morning. Anybody in here remember what it felt like before you encountered Jesus? Anybody in here been saved by grace through faith and you remember what it felt like before you encountered Jesus? Your life apart from Jesus, what it was like to be alienated and separated from God. What it felt like for you to be excluded from the life of God, as Paul writes right here. Just let that sink in for you just for a moment. Paul says, don't think like they think. Don't act like they act. Because they are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And because of the hardness of their hearts. 
And maybe for some of you this morning, you have a hardness in your heart towards God. Maybe there's been a time in your life, maybe you're in a time right now where there's a prayer that you're praying that God hasn't answered and you have a hardness towards God. Maybe there's something deeper in your life right now. There's a sin issue or there's a heart issue that's going on and you have a hardness in your heart that's towards God. Can I tell you and can I prove it to you this morning of what happens when you have a hardness of your heart towards God? A hardness of your heart leads to recklessness in your life. A hardness of your heart leads to recklessness in your life. Paul writes, he says, Because of the hardness of their hearts, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. He says they became callous. They became numb to the principles of God and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. They became numb to the practice and the principles of God. And now, now these people here that he's talking to, they had given their lives to Christ. He's telling them, hey, you got to put off the old, put on the new. They had given their lives to God. This was a church of Ephesus that he's talking to, a religious people that he's talking to. And now they had become numb to the principles and the practices of God. And now they've given themselves over to no longer live as the Gentiles live. Because now they've given themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. The hardness of our heart, it will always lead to recklessness in our life. And we can't do that because it leads us for a desire for more and more. It leads me to that story in Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son. When that son comes up to his dad and he had a hardness in his heart and he says, hey, I need my inheritance and I want it right now. So dad, I need you to give it to me. I need you to give me everything that I have not worked for, but I want you to give me that inheritance and I want it right now. So the dad gives him, gives him the inheritance. And the Bible actually tells us when he gives him the inheritance, he leaves his father and his family behind. And the Bible actually says that he went off and he spent all that inheritance on what? Reckless living. The hardness that was in his heart, it leads to a reckless life. I think we have that reckless life and that hardness heart because we haven't delighted ourselves in the calling that the Lord has placed on us. Psalm 37, 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. If you want the desires of your heart to change, you must change what you take delight in. If you want the desires of your heart to change, then maybe try changing what you take delight in, right? If you want your heart to look more like Christ, then maybe try digging deeper in your relationship with Christ. If you want your heart to look more like the world, then go ahead and start digging deeper in with the world. 
I think for a lot of us in here, that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're going back into our relationship with the world and, and starting to look more like the world. We're darkening, it, we're darkening our understanding. We're, we're, we're ignorant in our, in our time with the Lord. We're, our hearts have become hardened because of things that aren't going, uh, aren't going our way. And so we're saying, okay, my heart is now hardened towards God. So I'm becoming callous and I'm starting to desire more things that I want instead of my relationship with the Lord. So I'm not taking delight in my relationship with God. He says, this is the old life. This is the life that we are called to put behind. He goes on in verse 20, talking about the change that must happen. He says, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and you were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. When he when Paul writes right here, it says, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Our Christian life has got to go beyond just head knowledge. Jesus isn't just looking for the knowledge of him in our heads. Jesus is desperately wanting the relationship with him in our hearts. He's not just looking for everything just to just to be right up here. He's looking for everything up here to be translated and transformed down here into our hearts. To be in a relationship with him. This is how we came to know him. That we believed in our hearts, right? As Romans 10, 9 says, that we believed in our hearts. And what's in our heart has now allowed us to confess with our mouth that he is Lord. Everything that's been in our heart This is how we have came to know him. There's a difference in knowing about Christ and actually knowing Christ. This is what Paul is writing to the Ephesians here. He says, this is not how you came to know him, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The Ephesians right here, they learned Christ, not only learning about Jesus, but also Learning him. This means a living, abiding knowledge of Jesus will keep us from the kind of sinful conduct Paul speaks of. Just knowing about Jesus isn't enough to keep us pure. The disciples, as we read about in, in the Gospels, they didn't just learn about Jesus, they actually learned him, right? If if you've read through the Gospels, you saw that Jesus actually took them on the journey with him. That they didn't just learn about Jesus from afar. No, Jesus was like, hey, come and learn with me. Come learn my character. Come learn how I do things. Come learn how I do things right up close. Come learn how how I feed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. Come learn how I heal people. Come learn exactly what I am doing right up close. Come learn my character. Don't just learn about me. No, come learn me. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. This is not how you came to know Christ. You didn't just hear about 
me. No, you actually know me. My wife and I, we've been married for almost five years and about two and a half weeks we'll be married for, for five years. And when we were dating, I asked her multiple questions so I could know her. I asked her about her past. I asked her, I asked her what she wanted to do in the future. We got to know each other. And now that we have been married for almost five years, there are things that I still don't know about her fully. But I would say if I brought her up on stage with me, that I could answer probably pretty much every question that she would ask me. I know exactly what makes her tick. I know exactly how to make her angry. I know exactly what buttons I have to push that she would really get mad at me. I know that every single night if she wants a, that she will want a cookout milkshake if I say, hey, do you want me to drive 10 minutes to cookout? I know that every single morning if I set my alarm for 5 a.m. and I don't get my butt out of bed that she is going to be angry with me because my alarm's gonna be snoozed for 10 more minutes and 10 more minutes and 10 more minutes. I know these things about her, why? Because I'm in a relationship with her. Because we do life together every single day. And the only way that we can get in close proximity like this with Jesus, if we're doing life with him every single day. If we're doing life with him close every single day. It leads me to this question of what does it mean for us to be in Christ? What does it mean for us to learn Christ? This is what it means for Christ in me, for Christ for me, Christ Behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ to my left, Christ to my right, Christ all around me. That's what it means for me to be in Christ. And once we come to this revelation of what it means for us to be in Christ, then we will see the radical change and transformation take place in our lives. I think for some of us in here, myself included, we get so comfortable going back and living in our old sinful lifestyles. We get so comfortable living in our old sinful habits that we can just go back and say, okay, this is who I used to be before I met Christ. This is the sin that I used to have on. This is the, this is the temptation that I used to walk in. This is the, the, the anger-filled lifestyle that I used to walk in. It's just so comfortable for me. If you were to walk into my house at 8.30 at night, me and my wife, usually we're gonna be sitting on the couch or in my favorite chair, and we're gonna be in our comfy clothes, right? Anybody in here got comfy clothes? Right, come on. Hey, let's just be transparent tonight, uh, this morning. All right, come on. You can see me in here. I got a cutoff T-shirt. Okay, I know many of you don't know me, but I got a com- I got a cutoff T-shirt and some basketball shorts and some slippers. All right, uh, this is my comfy clothes. Right, come on. You can laugh. It's okay. All right. Those are my comfy clothes, and I love them. My wife, she's not here this morning, but she's got 
some, some red and black pajama bottoms and a long t-shirt and some slippers. Those are our comfy clothes, right? Yes, I know, I hear you. My father-in-law, he is the complete opposite, and I just don't get it. About six years ago when I went to meet them for the first time, his idea of comfy clothes, he got home. Uh, I'll tell you the full story. He, he got home. When the first time I met him, I went up and shook his hand. And he said he got home in a, in a button-down, tucked in with khaki pants and some loafers. And he said, hey, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to change. I'm going to put my comfy clothes on. I said, okay, sounds great. So I followed him upstairs. I went to put my comfy clothes on, my cutoff T-shirt, my basketball shorts, my slippers, came back downstairs. And he came back downstairs about five minutes later. He had on another pair of khaki pants, another pair of loafers, and another button-down shirt. And I said, hey, Mr. Ernie, I thought you were going to put comfy clothes on. He said, these are my comfy clothes. I was like, that's not comfy clothes. My father-in-law cuts grass and khaki pants and a button-down. I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he looked at me, I I kid you not, he looked at me six years ago and he says, this is what I've always known. This is what I've always known. This is just a habit for me. This this is comfortable for me. I think a lot of times we get so comfortable that we can't go deeper in our walk with the Lord because that comfortable is just a lifestyle for us. That comfortable is just a lifestyle for us. That old sinful pattern, that old sinful habit is just a lifestyle for us. And Jesus is calling us out of our comfortable lifestyle to following, follow him deeper. He isn't calling us to choose our comfort over Christ-likeness. Following Jesus outside of our comfort zone will always allow us to experience his presence in new ways. Matthew 4, 18 through 22, he writes this. He says, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. What was comfortable for these disciples? Jesus called them out of their comfort and said, Hey, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, right there in that moment, they left their old life and came to follow Jesus. What was comfortable for Peter in Matthew chapter 14? Being on the boat for Peter was comfortable. And Jesus said, hey, come, follow me out here on the water. Come out here on the water. Jesus says, immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And immediately Peter came out of the boat with him. Christ isn't calling us to choose our comfort, the old, sinful, former way of life that is corrupted, as Paul writes, by our deceitful desires. No, he's calling us to put on the new self. Paul would go as far in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 10, to say, Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, 
God's wrath is coming upon the disobedience, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. This is the change that must happen in each and every one of our lives so we can be renewed in the spirit of our minds so that we can look more like Christ. To take off our former way of life so that now we can be renewed, so we can look more like Christ, to put on the new self. So the question we're asking, what is the new self we must put on? Great question. We're going there right now. Verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth. Only what is good for building up someone in need so that he gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Right here, Paul's talking about the conduct of what it looks like for us as new men and new women to walk in Christ. He gives us five quick things here in these last seven verses for us to walk in this new life. Five sins that we are to avoid now as we are new in Christ, lying uncontrolled anger, stealing, unwholesome talk, and unforgiveness or bitterness. Let's walk through these real quick. Lying. He says, therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. Can I ask you this morning, are you telling the truth? It's simple, right? We tell our kids. I tell my kids. I tell, I tell Hayes all the time. Hey, dude, are you lying? Are you, are, you, are you lying or not? Are you just sharing a story for exaggeration? I have to ask myself that all the time. Matt, are you telling the truth? Or are we just sharing a story for reaction? Are we exaggerating a bit or just stretching the truth? Are we making promises to somebody that we can't keep? Are we being men and women of our word? The gospel writer John in chapter 8, verse 44, he would say this about Satan. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. John would write this about Jesus. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 8, 31 through 32 says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if we know the truth, if we believe in Jesus who is the truth, then we are called to speak the truth. Therefore, put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbors. Goes down and talks about anger. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Can I just release some of us this morning? There is such a good, there is such a thing as good anger, okay? There, there is such a thing as good anger. We should be angry toward things as abuse, towards things as neglect, towards things as injustice, things that go against the will of God. Those are things that we can be angry at. Let me show you what Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says. Paul writes, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and he doesn't stop there. He says, and self-control. It's okay to be angry at things that go against the will of God. But when our anger causes us to be out of self-control, then that means we're giving the devil an opportunity in our life to sin. It says we must love one another. We must not have hate in our heart towards one another. John would write, he said, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there is a good thing. There is such a thing as good anger. But when our anger causes us to give the devil an opportunity, then it becomes a sin. Stealing. It says, let the thief no longer steal. And some of you in here are like, man, I've never shoplifted a day in my life. Praise God for that, right? Praise God. But Paul's writing here for it to be practical for us. Can I give you some practicals for stealing? Maybe for some of you in here, stealing, you're stealing joy out of situations that causes you to focus on yourself. You're stealing someone's heart for the gospel because they're watching you pursue something else other than God. Maybe you're trying to control your life when ultimately God is holding your future. You can't steal control out of what God is already holding firm. Maybe for the ones who are married in here and maybe for the people in here who have kids, maybe you're robbing your spouse or your kids of time they deserve because your attention is somewhere else when you're home because you're so focused on work that you don't have time for your family. John 10.10, 10, it says, A thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. And I have come so they may have life and have it in abundance. That the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life and life abundantly. goes on a little bit further in 29. It says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. One of the mentors I had a couple years ago, he would say this phrase to me a lot. He said, if you put trash in, you're only going to get trash out, right? So what are you putting in to your life? What TV shows are you watching? What music are you listening to? Who are the people around you that are feeding into you? What are you listening to on the radio? What people are you sitting down with to have meals with? 
If you put trash in, you're only going to get trash out. He's talking about gossip and profanity and dirty jokes. And, and can, I, can I just give you a disclaimer here? As Paul writes in 1 Timothy, when he, when he writes that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them, I don't want you to hear this this morning from me and say, man, he's just perfect. No, I'm still working on this, right? I'm still working on all of these things. So God, I repent of all of this right here that I'm talking about. These are some things that I am still working on right now. This is just the old life that we are called to put on, to put on this new self that God has called us to. But Paul's writing here, the gossip, the profanity, the dirty jokes, the locker room talk for all of us in here. I wrote this in my journal this week. Don't put on the old self just so that we can fit in with the crowd and the world around us. He says that we must, our speech must be edifying, encouraging, uplifting for one another, grace-filled. Let our speech be truthful and challenging and loving and thoughtful for one another. And last thing he says is be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgives you. The unforgiveness part of all of this is that God forgives our sin knowing that we will sin again, that God puts his trust in us and invites us to work with him as co-laborers when he forgives us, that God in his forgiveness bore all of the penalty through his son Jesus for the wrong that we did against him. So which one of these do you identify with this morning? Is it anger? Is it the unwholesome talk? Is it unforgiveness? Is it stealing Is it lying? Is it something else that we haven't even talked about this morning? Is it a sin issue that's still going on in your life? Man, I need to put off this old life to put on the new. As we wrap up this morning, I just want to tell you just a quick story of of my life, my, my testimony, and how I had to put off the old life to now put on the new. I'm 27 years old. I'll be 28 in August. And for these 27 and a half years, I've grown up without a father. I've grown up without an earthly father. For the first 17 years of my life, I was lost and far from God. I had no relationship with my heavenly father. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and I was living this Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 lifestyle. Until that moment when I was 17 and I came to know Christ for the very first time. The first 17 years, I was, had some addictions that I was dealing with. I had relationship issues. I was disobedient. I was dealing with lying from the enemy and listening to those lies from the enemy. I dealt with anger issues. In these last 10 years, I still revert back a lot of times to this old life that I used to fall into this old life that I used to live all because of these father wounds 
that have not fully been healed in my life. All because of those first 17 years before I met Christ, that my earthly father, because of, the, of these wounds that I had, of, uh, of my earthly father didn't love me and he abandoned my mom and my family before. All because of that abandonment that I felt, those abandonment issues, all because I said, my earthly father doesn't love me, then my heavenly father can't love me. Once I came to the realization and the desperate need in my life, when I was 17 to say, Jesus, I know that I'm not perfect and I know that my earthly father wasn't perfect, but I know that you are. And I know that you will never leave me nor forsake me, but God, I know that this calling that you have called me to right now is a call that is worthy to walk worthy of. I don't have to walk in these old ways any longer. But I remember in these last 10 years of now walking with Jesus, that every time I fall back into these old sinful patterns, this one word just keeps coming to my mind. It's this word empty. It's this word empty. I think about the story in Luke 18 with the rich young ruler. That he came to Jesus and he was searching for life. He looked at Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He had all the right words that he needed to say and he still missed the mark because Jesus said, you got to give up the one thing that you have. You got to sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then you come and follow me. And he missed the mark because he didn't want to give up the thing that was holding him back from going deeper with Jesus. And he left there Think about the story in Matthew 23 with the whitewashed tombs. They look so great on the outside, but on the inside, they're still dead and rotten and empty. I think about my life sometimes, maybe even your life. There's things inside of us that are dead and rotten and empty and we can never walk worthy of the call that God has placed on our lives if we are constantly running on empty. If we are still filled with the old sinful habits and lifestyle and patterns of this world that God has called us to lay down at the feet of Jesus. So wherever you are this morning, on that scale, say, man, I got some things I need to lay down. There's something in my life, whether 
whether you deal with anger issues or whether you deal with lying or stretching or exaggerating the truth just a little bit or maybe there, there's some unwholesome talk in your life, profanity or gossip or whatever it is. Maybe there's a sin issue. You're saying, God, I just need to lay it down at your feet right now. Would you just get that right with Jesus this morning saying, I got to put off the old self so I can put on the new so that when people see me, they see a reflection and a resemblance of you, King Jesus, in my life. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we lift your name high. Jesus, you are worthy of the praise and the honor and the glory. God, we are not. Jesus, I pray as we sang earlier, God, we would lay down the old flames, God, so that we can pick up the new ones that you want to ignite in us this morning. Jesus, would you do a mighty work in this time? God, I pray that each and every one of us would experience that that radical transformation in our lives, God, because we have encountered and experienced a new life in you. God, because your word tells us in John 15 that apart from you, we have nothing to offer. So God, I pray we would receive your spirit this morning. God, I pray whatever it is in our lives that's holding us back from going deeper. God, you would make it so clear and so evident in us. God, I pray right here in this room right now, as we leave this morning, God, that this right here would be a marker for the rest of our lives. That we would live this new life you have called us to live, walking worthy of the call that we have received this morning. God, we love you. We lift you high. In Jesus' name.